an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. You don't know who's suffering from what. Because people would look at me and people, especially that didn't, hadn't known me, they had no idea what was going on with me. They didn't know that I had any kind of eating disorder of any kind. Right. So just, you can't look at somebody and know they have, or they don't have an eating disorder. For the most part, you can't know that. The other aspect of it is you don't know if that person is teetering on the possibility of having an eating disorder and the things that you say to them could set them over the edge to end up with an eating disorder. Like what happened to me when I was a teenager. So I just say in general, we should change our way of speaking to each other. And in the beginning, it's gonna be like a stop and think kind of moment. Stop and think before you talk. Do you silently or not so silently body shame yourself, compare yourself, or secretly beat yourself up about your body image? Do you have those in your life that unknowingly do the same to you or others? You may not even be aware of the negative self-talk you are having with yourself or think it is doing any long-term harm. My next guest may successfully convince you otherwise. Shoshana Gordon is a health coach, personal trainer, and in recovery from her own eating disorder journey. It started at a young age as it often does. Comments made by coaches, friends, or family unaware of the harmful words and jokes that can lead you down the path of not loving your body. From overeating to not eating at all, it's all a vicious cycle on a fast moving roller coaster. Her unique and positive outlook on reframing the thoughts we have about our body image so that we can live a more healthy, happy, and free life may surprise you. She doesn't own a scale and does not believe in encouraging her clients to define their success in fitness by counting calories or testing their body fat. Shoshana brings a beautiful, fresh perspective to a very common and scary mental illness, one that is often undetected. She has an amazing story and a message to share. I hope you and your children are listening. Let's dive in. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm so excited today. I have one of my friends on who I was so excited when she reached out to me and said, hey, I think I have something that would be important to share with your listeners if you will have me. And it was so exciting because normally I am always looking for people to be on the show who have some really amazing stories. And this was like a gift from the heavens that my good friend Shoshana Gordon decided to be on Light from the Rabbit Hole today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I know that you are in a space in your home where we're trying to keep your dogs (laughs) from barking. So hopefully that works. But if people could see you right now, it's hilarious where you're sitting. You're in the garage. The acoustics are working very well. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. I've got two very needy little dogs. So yes, you not do. Not little dogs, but two needy dogs. Oh my gosh. So let's just give the listeners a little bit of an overview. So you and I have actually known each other. We didn't know each other all that well. We've gotten to know each other, but we, we knew each other from years ago working at a health club in the Portland area and you've been there forever. You're still there. Been yeah. over eight years. 
you teach everything there. And I remember, I think I was in one of your step classes or something. Did you teach? I taught class that used a step, but I didn't teach step. Okay. Okay. So we actually met because you and I were both there at the same time when I was teaching Zumba, which I taught at this club for, oh my gosh, seven years. And so we would take classes. I don't know if you ever took, do you ever take one of my Zumba classes? Probably not because I'm not really big into dance, but (laughs) I feel like I have not just, I feel like I literally have a poor left beat. Oh my gosh. Yep. Kind of person. Yeah, you totally are. So then we got reconnected, ironically, at a yoga studio, and you and I did some personal training for a while, which was really lovely. And so here we are. I know. So, small world in Portland. Yeah, totally. Totally is. It's kind of an interesting thing because since I don't know you all that well and I've been getting to know you, we all have our secrets, right? And so I never would have thought kind of the story that we're going to be talking about today would have been your journey. I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy that it was your journey because of the business that you're in now and what you stand for is in direct complement of your recovery. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. So what we're going to talk about today is this distorted thinking that happens around food and exercise. And this is such a great a great story to talk about because on this show, we talk a lot about mental health, mental wellness, addictions, and and other things that are big traumas and little traumas that we're kind of going through in our lives. But your topic that you're going to be sharing is connected to something that you're in recovery for, but it actually really affects everyone. Oh, for sure. And different levels. So different levels. Yeah. So I want to talk about this distorted thinking around food and exercise. I think we all have it. I know I clearly have had it in my journey. I know my son has, my son actually has an eating disorder and we're going to talk more about that with you. But what's exciting to me is that your story is such a positive story in the sense that what you're doing now with your business and your life, you're really living the actions of changing that mindset of that distorted thinking that's out there. You said some interesting things to me about that when we were kind of doing our pre-call that I hadn't really thought of. So we'll get there, but let's start with how you got to this point. I would love to know some of the things that took place in your earlier childhood that set you up to be, I guess, really a good spokesperson for this mission that you have. So as a kid, I would say sometime early elementary-ish age, I was kind of like this chunky kid. I, I, I hesitate to say like necessarily overweight, but I was definitely on the chunkier side, bigger than most of my friends, not coordinated, not really good at sports, just kind of that kid that didn't really quite fit in and definitely looked different than a lot of my peers did. I felt a little bit like a fish out of water. I just never could find my groove in terms of that. I did so many different, as I got older, like middle school-ish, I would try all different kinds of diets. I even did like well-named ones. Mm -hmm. I tried all different things. Nothing really ever worked, but I didn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing or how to do it. I just knew that I wanted to lose weight because I thought that would make me happier and that my life would be better and I would get along with people. I just thought losing weight was like the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. Because you felt like you were 
so different from other friends that maybe didn't look the same way you did? Correct. I mean, I was definitely like my, my closest friends were all thin and I didn't look like them. And as I got older, especially in middle school, I noticed that we'd go out and boys would look at them, but not at me. So I was definitely very self-conscious about my weight and self-conscious about uh, myself as an athlete, as somebody that played sports. So starting back when I was probably kindergarten, first grade, I was in class, I was in PE class. I had this PE teacher. Now we have to remember this is back in the seventies. So (laughs) this will make a little bit more sense, sort of, I guess. I had this PE teacher that would line us all up and would toss a soccer ball and we had to hit it with our heads. I was scared to death to hit the ball with my head. So I would like shy away from it and I was scared of it. And then he'd yell at me and be upset with me and make me feel bad because I couldn't hit the ball with my head. So that was already making me feel bad. Then it would turn to PE. And we'd always like PE in elementary school was always where everyone would pick a team and you'd have like the captain and they'd pick the team. And I was always the last one to be picked. So right there, I always felt like, okay, it must be my weight, why I don't feel good and why I'm not getting picked for this. I never really had a chance to feel coordinated. I never really liked exercise growing up. I tried different things. I tried gymnastics. I liked it, but two things. One, I had to be in a leotard and I was very self-conscious about my body in a leotard. The other thing was I just wasn't super coordinated. And I think between feeling not good in my own body and feeling not comfortable in the leotard and all of that. So I ended up quitting gymnastics. I was good at swimming, but again, you have to wear a bathing suit. And I was very Mm. self-conscious in my bathing suit. So swimming was not the best choice for me. So that didn't work out very well. And then I tried horse riding, which I fell completely head over heels in love with horse riding. And you'd think, oh, horse riding, great sport. You don't have to worry so much about weight. You're on a horse. Well, I loved it. I did it for years. And my instructor at one point came to me and said, and I loved these two ponies. Those were like the ponies I loved to ride. One of them in particular, she goes, you just, you can't ride the ponies anymore. You're just, you're, you're getting too big. Now I've learned hindsight that I really wasn't too big. Maybe that's what it was back then, but she told me I had to ride these really big horses. And I then felt so bad about myself because I was like, well, if I wasn't so heavy, I'd be able to stay on the ponies. So I ended up quitting horse riding. So there was a lot of quitting activities because of the way I looked. Sounds like there was a lot of body shaming going on you already had kind of a distorted view of yourself, but then you also had people that were in your life, like teachers and coaches and such saying things that they didn't realize were also shaming and hurtful. Oh, for sure. And I grew up in my family, my grandfather, who I absolutely adored my grandfather. Like I was very close with my grandparents and he would joke with me on a regular basis about me being chunky or things like that. And he never, I don't, he, I don't think he ever, ever meant to be hurtful, but the word stuck. And I have other family members that are very obsessed with weight and body image and things were always being said, commented, whether it's about me or about another relative. So there was always that talk happening. 
But I think that's not uncommon. I think that situation is common in many households. Oh, yeah, 100%. When I understand that because I grew up as a dancer and I was a ballerina and I remember this very distinctly. I mean, I remember being in a dance company at a very young age on point and the teacher talking to me and my mom about the fact that I needed to lose some weight or I was, as I was starting to grow, I was getting a little bit bigger and filling out a little bit more because I have the booty. I've always had the booty since I was a little kid. And now it's like, it's, it's in to have the booty, but back in the day, (laughs) it was not. And I was tormented. I mean, I was tormented as a kid with my, with my rear end and dance was no exception. And I looked back at pictures of me in dance company and I was literally a skeleton. Like I did not look like I was healthy at all. And I had no recollection of having an eating disorder, but I know that I subconsciously was probably very careful what I was eating because of the comments that were coming to me from the doing the sport that I loved and I was so good at. Oh, that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. I think things and things were said definitely more so. I would say things were more acceptable to say back in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. And we're seeing a little bit more of a shift of awareness now, but it's, it's still getting said. And there's, it's almost a little bit more under the table. Whereas I think back when we were growing up, it was way more overt. Like there was no no hiding what they wanted you to know about anything. Right. Now you look at social media and it's just crazy. It is. It's everywhere. And I remember I was in high school and I I, I begged my parents, I wanted to go to what I called, and I'm going to say this in quotes, quote unquote, fat camp. So I really wanted to go to a weight loss camp. My parents did not want me to go there. I mean, they did not want me to go, but it wasn't their choice in any way. And I begged and begged and begged to go to this camp. And I mean, I had to like make this whole like presentation of why I wanted to go to this camp. I was desperate. I just, I it was so unhappy with the way I looked. And I figured going to this like fat camp was going to make a difference. It was horrible. It was a terrible experience for various reasons. But one of them that has like stuck in my head, like I can actually remember walking on a track because it was at a local like college high schoolish area. I remember walking on a track because we had to like walk on the track every morning or whatever. And I did not like to exercise. So they were making us, part of it is they had to make us exercise. We were being teenagers and being like, I don't want to really do it. I remember this counselor going, well, I'm trying to make your fat bodies thin or fat bodies skinny. And that stuck. That a counselor at a camp like that would talk like that to a teenager, which I mean, you shouldn't talk like that to anybody, but you know, that really stuck. Like these like quote unquote thin counselors are trying to tell us what to do. And I'm like, that wasn't the most encouraging way. It only just made us feel worse about ourselves. Yeah, that's amazing. I just can't even, I can't even imagine how many times that those kind of things still go on. Just like we were talking about casually, which I think is really interesting because I've thought more about this after you shared it when you're like, I don't watch, I don't watch The Biggest Loser. Never. I've, I've watched, I've, I think I've actually watched it a couple of episodes here or there, 
just to see what it was about. Yeah. Because it's so derogatory, it's derogatory, right? So I did watch, I watched a couple episodes. I wanted to see what it was all about. I wanted to like hear, know what people were talking about. I was so bothered by it. Everything they talked about, everything they were saying, literally just made my skin crawl. The way these trainers were talking to these contestants, first yeah. of all, the way they were talking to them just really bothered me. And I think sometimes they were being really positive towards them, but then they would turn around and say something really negative and it just felt like a, like a really not comfortable situation. And the fact that these individuals are losing weight in such a fast way and they're being rewarded and they get like a prize. And I'm thinking we should lose weight if we want to lose weight. The prize shouldn't be money or whatever that may be. No, absolutely. Well, so in terms of transition for you, you, you had an early onset of this kind of distorted view of, of, of yourself where you don't really know where that came from. When I was, I guess, younger, like up until about five, I probably was about average size and I started to gain weight. Every, a lot of it's hindsight. So mm -hmm. as, as an adult, I realized that I have anxiety and most likely ADHD. It's so evident that I have ADHD. I'd be shocked if that wasn't a diagnosis for me. Yeah. So when I look back at being diagnosed with anxiety and all of this stuff, I probably struggled with all of that as a kid, but didn't really know what to do with all of that. We weren't so great about mental health back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, for sure. I turned to food and I know that the more depressed and more sad I would feel about the way I look, the more I would eat. So that's probably like the weight gaining yeah. of it. So and it was all tied to how you were feeling about yourself, the anxiety, all of that. And then like in any addiction, everybody has something different, right? For you, you were comforting with food and it triggered, that's what triggered the addiction for you. I think so. I mean, I, when I look back on it, I don't think I was necessarily overeating. I mean, I, I was definitely eating more. I wasn't obese. I just was a chunkier kid. I really do believe that the eating that I did was masking the feelings that I would like trying to, I'd come home from school. And if I was really having a sad day, I'd go sit down and eat a bunch of Oreos. So yeah. I was using food as my comfort in that regard. So, and then at the end of high school is when I kind of flipped the switch and went the other direction, which is not uncommon. I finally made the decision that I'm going to lose weight. I had a breakup with a boyfriend and I think it just was one of those triggers. I wouldn't necessarily say it was that boyfriend or that, it just was at the right place at the right time. And I made the decision that I'm going to lose weight. And I did, I started losing weight. Interestingly enough, I got all these kind of comments. Oh my gosh, you're looking so good. You're looking so thin. And oh my gosh, the compliment just kept coming in. And I thought, okay, well, this is awesome. I've never had this one before. So the more people would compliment me and they, they, everyone thought they were doing the right thing. They're like, sure. Oh, they're saying all these nice things to me, but everything they said fed the eating disorder because the more they would tell me how good I looked and I'm losing weight, the more it would fuel the disorder. Cause then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to keep going with this because I loved all that positive reinforcement as opposed to all the negative reinforcement when I was overweight. And so family members that used to say things to me like, oh, you're looking a little chunky or make comments. We're now making comments. 
in the other way with a very positive like annotation. Yeah. And so it just, it can just swing it completely the other direction. You're like, oh, now I'm looking really good and people are giving me positive reinforcement. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is reinforcing still the bad behavior. Exactly. (laughs) Right. That's why I'm very cautious to this day, whether as a friend, as a trainer, as what, as, as a mom of two girls of whatever, I'm very cautious what I say and how I say it. I do the best that I can because it's not, I I don't want to perpetuate anything either, which way. So my belief system is don't talk about people's bodies. Like just like, you can say you look good, but you know, to dissect people's bodies, like, oh, you look so skinny or you look, that is never verbiage that comes out of my mouth. What's funny is I remember when we were training together and I might've said something one day, like, Oh God, I haven't worked out in a couple of days or a couple, whatever I said. And I was kind of like already starting that negative self-talk and you right away were like, Nope, we're not talking about it. We're not doing that here. We don't talk about it. And it was great. And who else does that? Who I just love and adore. She's our mutual friend is Kat. Mm-hmm. She's oh, like sure. that. Yeah. Like in her, in her spin classes, when I would go into her classes, she would talk about that, about how we don't talk about how we ate the night before and we screwed up here and we had some sweets and now we're trying to work it off. Like we don't talk that way. And she was very, very positive in her reinforcement of a positive body image. That is an anomaly in this field. Oh, for and sure. It, it's interesting. And I either, I feel like I come up against a brick wall when I address that issue or I feel like people are like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it like that. I will say that's rare. You hear these workouts all the time around Thanksgiving, like burn the bird. And I'm like, we don't need to burn anything. We have Thanksgiving and we enjoy Thanksgiving and you eat what you eat and you let it go. And the next day, if you want to work out because it feels good and you want to work out, great. Let's not worry about burning what we ate. Off. Yes. And I think there's a lot of that conversation. I've also heard people say, come work out before you have your Super Bowl party or come work. Like there's so much communication about, mm-hmm. okay, if you're going to go eat, then we need to work out. Yes. And I, yes. I, I think they need to be separate. They're not separate, but they should be separate in a way. When you started actually going and swinging to the opposite side, you were losing weight and you were working out and you kind of became, did you become kind of crazy about the working out? Oh, for sure. So I had, I had done stints at various gyms and it just never felt right to me. I was also younger. I was middle school. I was also without all that great self-conscious stuff. So I started working out and I became one of those like gym rats kind of person. Yeah. Like, which I still am to this day, but in a healthy way. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'd like sit on like a bike or be on a treadmill for an hour, hour and a half, thinking that was the right thing to do. I'd take lots of classes. And you, when I got into college, I would do stuff there. And then there would be times where I'd take like two, three classes in a row because I was very obsessed with working out. So it became, I didn't work out because I necessarily liked it. I mean, I did like it, but I worked out more because I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. And yes, I did enjoy it to an extent and it did help relieve anxiety and tension. So it did do all of those things, but I was also very obsessed with it. So I would 
obsessed over how much I worked out and how many calories I burned. And that became an obsession. Yeah. Can we talk about the calorie counter apps for a second? Cause that's a biggie. There's a friend of mine who was counting her macros on the calorie counter. She was losing a ton of weight. And I remember thinking, how is she doing this? Like, how do you do that? Right. And so I remember asking her about it and she was like, oh yeah, I have this calorie counter app. And so I thought to myself, well, I'd like to drop some weight. So I'm going to do this calorie counter thing too. Right. And this was years ago. And I remember getting the app and downloading it and just even the body pictures, like where it says, what do you look like? I like click on the box of what your body is and what you you want your body to look like. All of those things that are like subconscious levels of disconnect between a good body image and not, you don't even realize are there in these apps. And then you start counting the calories. And a lot of times you don't know exactly what's in everything, especially if you eat out or whatever. So at the end of the day, you are like shaming yourself because you've eaten too much of this and you didn't regulate this. And and you're looking at like, okay, well, I have a little bit of extra here. So that means I can take that over tomorrow and I can have like something more. You're like rewarding yourself. So that whole concept is like absolute bullshit to you. I mean, that's not something that I'm in favor of. I am very straight up. I say, I am not the trainer that is going to be there counting calories. I am not the trainer that's going to sit and come up with a meal plan for you. I'm not the trainer that's going to weigh you. I'm not the trainer that's going to measure you. That's not my personal belief system. I'm not going to shame somebody for doing that. What I may want them to think about is why is that important? So right. we'll go back to like the, cal- the calorie counting, for example. I understand in some situations that that is important. If you are somebody that really is morbidly obese and they're really trying to get yourself to a place because there's physical things happening to the body that aren't healthy due to being so sure. obese, that's a whole different situation and you're doing it with a medical professional. Right. The problem I find with the apps is it's not a medical professional. And there becomes this, like you said, this obsession with those numbers. Yep. I remember very distinctly when I was struggling with my eating disorder is I would literally write down every single thing that I ate and how much I ate and how many calories it is. And it was literally an obsession every single day for years and years and years, I would have, it would be in my organizer and I would look at it. And just like you said, I would, cause we didn't have apps back then. We didn't have right. cell phones back then. So we had to do it manually. <laughs> <laughs> like we had to do it old school and it was the same idea. And I'd be like, okay. So if I went over my amount, I would feel bad about myself. I'd feel like I'd have to exercise more. Yeah. And if I went under, I'd be like, okay, that was so good. I did a great job. Or now I can have a little extra tonight. And it became this, like, I couldn't stop thinking about numbers. Let's say you're like, listen, I really, really would like to lose some weight, whatever that may reason be. If you're like, listen, if I, if I lost like five or 10 pounds, I'm just going to feel better. Whatever it is. If someone is at that point where I can't get them to change that mindset, I would say, okay, let's talk about the mind body connection. Let's think about, are we really eating when we're hungry? The intuitive eating you talk about. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, and I'm not perfect. I don't always have intuitive eating. There's times where I'm like, 
I'm full, but I really want some ice cream or something. Yeah, so exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm like this perfect person when it comes to intuitive eating, but if we can get more in tune with how our bodies feel and what they need rather than counting the calories and also being aware of what we're putting in our bodies. It doesn't mean, no, I'm the first one to be like, one of my absolute favorite foods is donuts. I love donuts. I'm like <laughs> the first one to say, I love my donuts. I love my ice cream. I love pizza. It's not that I don't eat those foods. It's finding that balance. Okay. So we had to bring the puppies into the room with Shoshana <laughs> because they were <laughs> barking and acting out. And so they're here with you now. I feel like I'm literally back in toddlerhood again. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> we were talking about how it started for you, how things evolved from one swing to the opposite swing. I think it's interesting that you got into the line of work that you're in with coaching and health and fitness. Was that something that you thought about early on that you wanted to do or like what got you into it? No, actually, no. I, so I have a master's degree in social work and my plan was to be a therapist. I mean, I, I was a therapist for many years I started teaching group exercise classes as a side job because I figured I might as well get paid for something I love to do. I was already in recovery from my eating disorder. And so that I was later and I thought, oh, maybe I'll just try this exercise thing. Yeah. Long story short, I ended up getting more involved in the fitness realm. It just so happened to be, I started doing more of that because I had a daughter and all that jazz. I realized that I could take my experiences, both personal and with my master's degree in social work and bring it to the fitness realm. I love it. And bring it to being a personal trainer and trying to help individuals find the happy medium between wanting to be healthy, but do it in, in a positive way, in a healthy way. Yes. I love that. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I actually didn't realize that. That's kind of cool. I would, actually, I worked in both eating disorders and addictions. So that yes. was my, th those were my specialties was I worked with an eating disorders clinic and a hospital. And I also worked in various places with substance abuse. Wow. And I had no idea that you, that you had a master's in social work. That's pretty awesome. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that as a trainer, that's one thing I bring to being a trainer is I'm not sure. just the physical side of things, I believe in both. I believe that finding healthy and training involves both physical, mental, and emotional. Mm -hmm. And spiritual. It's and all spiritual. connected. It's all yeah. very connected. All very connected. And I don't mean spiritual, like you have to believe in anything, but there's like that aspect of it. Yes. Well, and we've talked a little bit about kind of this reframing that I think needs to happen in our society around image and just the emphasis that everyone puts on, especially with social media, but the emphasis of the way you look and the way you, you feel about yourself. So, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the things that maybe would be good, especially since you've worked within the eating disorder community. What are things that are not helpful for people to say to someone who is suffering or maybe just in general? that they don't even know that they're suffering, but like, what should you no, not say? I was going to say just in general. Cause so yeah. there's a couple of reasons why I say just in general. One is because you don't know who's suffering from what, because yeah. people would look at me and people, especially that didn't 
had known me, they had no idea what was going on with me. They didn't know that I had any kind of eating disorder of any kind. Right. So just, you can't look at somebody and know they have, or they don't have an eating disorder. Like in general, I mean, for the most part, you can't know that. The other aspect of it is you don't know if that person is teetering on the possibility of having an eating disorder and the things that you say to them could set them over the edge to end up with an eating disorder. Like what happened to me when I was a teenager. So I just say in general, we should change our way of speaking to each other. And in the beginning, it's going to be like a a stop and think kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Stop stop and think before you talk. Um, I think a common thing that gets said is when someone has lost weight or is losing weight or anything to that realm with their body is that people feel like they need to say something about it. Like, wow, you're looking really good. Look how thin you're looking or look how you're looking. And they don't Mm -hmm. even have to say thin. They can just be like, wow, you're looking really good and insinuate it has to do with weight loss. Can I ask you a question though? So here's, here's something I'm always like confused on how to say. And I literally think about this. So like, I will get on a call, a zoom call with maybe a client that I haven't seen in a while. And if the client has lost weight, like considerable weight, there's a feeling that you should say something like congratulating them that they've lost weight. Cause you know that they have. So you get in this thing in your head where I know I do, where I'm like, okay, wow, he looks great. He looks so much different than he looked last time I saw him, Maybe, especially with someone who's lost a lot of weight. Right. So I'm always nervous. Like I want to say something to acknowledge that and like, Hey, good work. But then I'm like, no, maybe I shouldn't say anything because that's perpetuating this whole thing. So like, what do you do? I come from the realm that I won't say anything. Okay. I just won't. I mean, I, there are people that I, that I'm surrounded by it. Yeah. And I know they, there's a part of them that might want to hear it. I'm like, you're never going to hear it from me. Now, it. what I will say is that for example, and I have noticed this. There are individuals that have lost weight and they are out of nowhere. You can see they're beaming. You can see they're happier. And chances are, I can't guarantee this, but chances are the weight loss had to do with them dealing with issues in their lives. Yeah. Because or feeling better, right? Like they're feeling better. Feeling better. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're going to therapy and addressing issues that they finally needed to address. Yeah. If I notice someone is looking happier and more content and they're smiling more, I will acknowledge that aspect of it. Like I love it. Look so happy. I choose not to respond to what someone looks like. I love it. No, I'm so glad you said that and that we're talking about this because I have a feeling people who are listening are probably kind of second guessing that. I think it was really interesting when you were talking about the scale because I personally don't own a scale in my home. I don't like to get on the scale. And my husband would love to have a scale in the house, but we don't, right? And we rent out our house in the desert and the people that are renting our house before, I think I told you the story, when they were like connecting with me online, the wife said, do you have a scale? I need a scale. And I'm thinking, well, you're on vacation. What are you doing with the scale? But I, I had a scale. but it was in a box somewhere in the garage. And so I just said to her, I don't actually know. And she said, oh, I have to have a scale because I weigh myself every morning and every night before I go to bed. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, that is, sounds so exhausting. That's what I said to her. <laughs> I said, I'm exhausted for you. I'm sorry. I don't have a scale. So what did she say that? back? She just, she didn't say anything. She was quiet. <laughs> she oh. probably thought, what the hell's wrong with this woman? Yeah. Because I thought I don't care about that. Then of course, when I met her, I was like, you don't need to be standing on a scale. Like you're what's going on? Why, why is this an obsession? So it just was so interesting to me. So what's your take on all of that on the scale thing? I haven't weighed myself for like more than two decades. Seriously. I haven't stepped on a scale. Mm -mm. I was weighed while I was pregnant, but I I weighed backwards and I did not want to know what the number on the scale was. So technically, no, I have not weighed myself in over two decades because I don't count that as really weighing myself because I knew nothing about it. I did ask them how much I gained because I wanted to make sure that I was taking care of my, my babies. Yeah. So I was worried about, was I gaining the right amount of weight, but I never, sure. I didn't want the numbers. So to this day, I don't step on a scale. I won't do body composition testing. I don't do measurements right? because I know for me personally That's that a those are, those, those are triggers. And yeah. I've heard from so many people and even people that don't have eating disorders. And I say that quote, like they, they don't have an eating disorder, but they definitely have disordered eating and thinking because I talked to them about why do you need to go on the scale? And they're like, well, I just want to know what I weigh. And then my response is, why do you want to know what you weigh? Because I want to know if I'm on target gaining or losing. And again, my response is why? Because I just want to, they, and it's kind of frustrating because they're like, why do you keep asking me why? Because I'm like, but why is it important? Yeah. And usually what it comes down to is I've heard people say, well, I know that if I've gained my, my weight's up a little bit, then I need to restrict my calories. Or they'll say, I feel really bad about myself if my weight's a little too high. And if my weight's normal or below than what I expected, then I can like cheat a little bit. I'm like, okay, well, that's a whole nother topic is the whole aspect of cheating with food Mm -hmm. and, or I feel really good about myself that day. And it's interesting because they don't even correlate the fact that they're saying that going on the scale affects how they feel about themselves that day. They're saying it, but there's no correlate. They, they're not hearing what they're saying. And what I'm hearing is, okay, so if that number is the number you want, then you feel good about yourself. If the number is not what you want, then you feel bad about yourself. And if you feel bad about yourself, then you're going to deprive yourself. But on the other hand, if you feel good about yourself, then you can treat yourself. And then we get into that whole negative thinking about ourselves and that whole deprivation versus like treating ourselves. Yes. And that's a whole nother issue in and of itself. Because I don't believe that food should be a treat. I don't feel like, I mean, I I guess I say those words too, but like it shouldn't be rewards. Yeah, it's so interesting. Things not to say, I think are, I mean, this is a big one for me is, and I I think it depends on what generation you grew up in. Like we grew up in the generation of you, you, whatever you get, you put on your plate, you finish everything. Mm -hmm. And if you finished everything, you might get a dessert. It's the, clean, get, it's the clean your plate club, as I like to call it. Yes. Yes. This is my husband's mindset too. And it's been interesting. Like when we go out to eat, sometimes I don't want to draw too much attention to it and I don't want him to feel bad. But if I know that he's full, 
I will just gently be like, babe, like, let's just let's take a break. Let's just sit back and, you know, have our wine or whatever, because I want him to take us. I want him to stop for a minute because I know that in his head, he is programmed that everything needs to be cleaned off his plate. And I was programmed the same way. And then I started doing that to my son, right? Because generationally, that's okay. how we grew up. Well, I mean, it wasn't, so, I didn't have to clean my plate, but if I wanted dessert, I did. Yeah, exactly. So like, I mean, my parents didn't make me finish everything on my plate, but right. if I wanted dessert, I had to basically eat my dinner. Cause if they're like, they would say to me, I say, well, I'm full. And they're like, well, if you're full, then you can't have dessert. I mean, I would do the same thing with my kids, but my kids would take like, you know, a couple of bites. So I was like, okay, well, so the yeah. way we talked about it in our household is go food and like, like slow food. You need to have enough go food in your body to make your body like be moving and doing all the things you want. And dessert was all over the map. It was like fruit. It was ice cream. It was whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Are there any other things that you think are really important to not say to yourself or to have someone say to you that could, that could kind of put you in this body shaming kind of mindset? I think truly staying away from any comments about someone's physical appearance which yeah. is really hard to do. Like it is, I'm not saying like, it's nice when you go out. Like, I mean, I, last night I went out to my, my first event since COVID. Like I got oh to get dressed up. I actually got to put on a dress, put on makeup. It was totally weird experience. <laughs> and it's so nice to see people and be like, wow, you look awesome. But it was more like on the fact of, wow, we are wearing real clothes. Yeah. We're dressed up. There's makeup on. There's something happening. We've showered. Yeah. <laughs> And as parents, we obviously bring our own baggage with our kids. I mean, there's no question about it. And it's whatever that baggage may be, it comes with us. Mm -hmm. And if part of that baggage involves anything to do with food, exercise, weight, is to be aware of how we're transferring that to our kids. Yeah. And just being aware of the messages we're sending. And I think some parents are definitely more vocal about things like that with their kids and have no problem saying exactly how they feel about let's lose some weight or make, you know, little comments on the side. Other parents might do it like more through the back door, like, like smaller comments. Mm -hmm. And I think those can comments can be really triggering mm -hmm. to kids and just being like, this is who we are and yeah. really trying to accept them for who they are. For who they are. Yeah, exactly. It's a healthy balance between where you're at now, the journey that you've made from one end to the other, to now you're, you are in the, the fitness world. And I'm like afraid to say you look great, but you do. I'm afraid that you're going to get mad at me, but you look strong. And that's like that to me, I mean, you look strong and fit and like you're defined, your muscles are defined. Like. At our age, because I think maybe I'm older than, I think I'm older than you, but like at our age, that is, a, I want to hear that, please. <laughs> and I think, I think personally strong, I mean, and being happy, those things are really important. It's not just about our weight. It can be anything. It can be people making comments about, oh, my wrinkles, this, or especially, I mean, it happens all the time, but the amount of individuals, mostly women that I hear commenting about, oh, I want to lose this and I want to lose this. And how do I lose this? And all of, and so I was yeah. pointing to like different parts of my body and I'm like, okay, well, first of all, as we get older, 
we need to be aware that certain parts of our bodies are going to change and look different. And that's part of getting older type of thing. So it's interesting because as I start working with different ages, teenagers deal with their body image coming from one way. Then you get the women that are in that having babies kind of age and mm-hmm. postpartum. And that has its whole other issues that evolve around body image. Then yep. you've got the women that are, you know, starting to go into their forties that are starting to notice differences in their change, differences in their bodies and their changes. Then you've got the women that are post-menopause and they all have their different body image issues. Yes. They're all we do. very different, but they all <laughs> stem from the same thing and the same place. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. It's just learning to have the right conversation in your head with yourself, to be kind to yourself, to be loving to yourself, right? And the the body shaming part is a deeper thing. It's not just about the body. It's about how you feel about yourself. It's so much deeper. Oh my, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I am by no stretch of the imagination perfect. I struggle with my body image issues. I have days where I look in the mirror and I play that old tape of, oh, I feel so fat. And then I have to remind myself that fat is not a feeling. Yeah. You can't feel fat. You can't. You, there's no way to feel it. It's not a feeling. It's just this whole I feel fat business doesn't make sense. Yeah. So I have to talk to myself. I actually have talks with myself. Sure. I talk to myself and I look in the mirror and go, gosh, I need, I wish, why did I gain this weight? Or why do these pants feel so tight? And then I have to talk to myself. Yes. In so a I'm loving not way. You have to talk to yourself in a loving way. And I think I told you, I think you listened to it actually, my uh, episode with my friend Robin, who. Yes who talked about her eating disorder. And she said the same thing you did. She's like, I still have those days. I still have those moments. I'm in recovery. That's what it is. I'm in recovery. And it's, it's a day-to-day thing that I have to be aware of. I have to be in the, the right mindset every day to love and accept myself unconditionally. And if some of those thoughts start to creep in, I've got to be able to stop and get grounded and do the work that I need to do to get myself back to positive thinking, right? It's oh, a choice. hundred percent. And it's interesting yeah. that when we started this podcast, the comment you made was like, looking at me, you wouldn't know that I was struggling with all of that. And I get that. I, I, so many individuals think yeah. that who I am on like the outside and, and I am not very positive person that, that that's not fake, but it's taken me a long time to get there. That's one. Yep. But two doesn't mean I don't have my own inner struggles. And I think people look at me going, well, you make it seem so easy. You make it so easy for you. You don't have to worry about counting calories. I'm like, no, I have to work. This is all work. All of this is work. I was just listening to some like silly reel. I don't know. And it was talking about someone's like, well, you make this look so easy. And the person's like, no, it's practice. I'm like, oh, but you've got it down. You're it's like, no, it's practice. It's practice. And and, And the whole thing was like, yes, Every single day I have to practice. I have to practice loving myself. I have to practice giving myself self-care. I have to practice owning the body that I have in the moment that I have it. And I have my points of frustration and I have my points of doubt and I have my points of self, whatever, dislike for right. that way to put it. I don't want to say self-hatred, but you know, all those things. And right. I have to work at it. Yes, absolutely. Well, we all do. And I think being aware that you have to work on those things is what keeps you, you know, keeps you grounded. And you're right. It's a practice. It's definitely a practice. 
it's funny because the same thing, same thing happened to me when I, people started listening to this podcast and they started learning more and more about me, right? Said the same thing to me. Like, I would never know you would have had X, Y, Z going on. And that is actually a compliment in the sense that it, it shows the evolution of your journey of healing. So it's a positive. And I always feel good about that when someone says like, wow, I didn't realize that you went through the traumas that you went through as a kid and the attachment disorders that you had with, with your family and the abuse and all the things that I went through that I'm in recovery for. I'm in recovery from recovering from the trauma, the big trauma, the big T as they call it. I got a lot of little T's, but I got some big T's too. So I got both of them. And that is a journey of healing and love. It is a conscious decision that I make every morning to feel good about myself. I make it every morning when I get up. And I, I would imagine that you, you do the same thing. It is. And that's why I think it's work. It's definitely a work in progress. I feel like I'm always a work in progress. Yeah. And it is very challenging being in this profession. It pushes my limits sometimes just because I'm surrounded by, I have colleagues who think quite differently than I do, whether I see them on a regular basis or I follow them on social media, but this field is inundated with things that I'm trying to get away from. Yeah. But I have to figure out how do I take that and work through it. And you keep, you keep talking about the things that you're talking about on this show, being aware and being in the present moment of being cautious of the words that you use, because you just don't ever know someone's struggle. You don't know what someone's going through, right? No, I mean, I mean, exactly. You, you don't know what someone's going through and you don't know if that compliment you give them is going to make them go harder into a different realm. Absolutely. It's like, it's like trying to find that happy medium. And I just, I want people to understand that it doesn't come easy to me. It is a struggle for me. And even though people will look at me and go, well, you have nothing to worry about. You could look at anybody. You could look mm-hmm. at, you could have the, somebody who has like one of the best figures in your own opinion. And that person could feel absolutely horrible about themselves. Yeah, exactly. You, you just don't know that struggle. It's work. And I decided that it's worth it to work on. And yeah. I'm also a role model. I'm a, I'm not just a role model for my clients, but I'm a role model for, for two girls, my two daughters. I don't want them to have to struggle the way I did. I mean, I'm Absolutely. sure they will have their struggles finding themselves in this, in society, but if I can keep them from some of the pain that I went through, I would do that. Well, and I think you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, my daughter, I will say last night, my youngest daughter is a dancer and I went and saw her perform at this event last night. Oh, fun. It was, it was so awesome. It just was oh, felt so good. It was like, she loves to dance. It makes her so happy. And I love, I love it when my girls find things that make them happy. Yes. I want to see them happy. When something yes. lights their fire, whatever that may be, then it lights my fire to see of my so happy. Anyways, afterwards, I was talking with her and one of her teachers because it was a school event. Something came up about body image. I don't even know how it came up. And my daughter like made some kind of comment like, oh yeah, that's my mom. I hear about this all the time. It's all about body image and love your body. And I was like, okay, she's listening. Yeah. Good. Like, I hope the girls are listening to me. 
And I want them to know that it's not easy, but somewhere in their brain, they know how important I believe that is and to love yourself for who you are. And even if it's a struggle and even if yeah. you're Andrew, you don't love your body, I want to be as much of a positive advocate to help them get through that time. I love that she said that. That's so great. Oh my gosh. It was like, well, it, what was really funny is when she tried to imitate me teaching my classes. Oh, <laughs> oh that was pretty funny. I was like, okay. But it was funny because as she's, she's trying to imitate me teaching classes, it was very positive. So I was like, yeah. well, I think that's what I sound like. I'll take it. You're a great instructor. <laughs> You're a great coach. This has been such a great conversation. I've loved it. Thank you for having me on. I really want to spread this message so much. I just, I feel so very strongly about it. It's so important to me that when I work with clients, it's not like you work out with me and all we do is talk body image. It's just that I believe in weightlifting and I believe in cardio and I believe in working out and getting sweaty and all of that stuff. I believe in all of that. Otherwise I wouldn't do the job that I do. But I also believe that we have to find things that make us happy. Sometimes I'll have a client and they're like, I absolutely hate this piece of equipment. So we talk about why they hate it. And if they really hate it and they're so miserable every time they're on it, I'm like, okay, we need to stop this. Let's find what you do love to do, whatever that may be, because we need to find some kind of way to enjoy what you're doing. Shoshana, I just love you. And I'm so grateful for all this time and, and your insight. You know, it has really resonated with me. It got me thinking about a lot of things. It made me feel really positive around some of the things that I am doing in terms of not putting so much pressure on my body that's almost 55 years old and feels feels like it, right? I mean, I just am getting really strong and trying to to take care of my body every day because I'm trying to, like you said, it's this is a gift to have this body that you have and you want to take good care of it. It's not just working out, it's what you're what you're eating. And I've cut out gluten and it's like changed my life. That's not for everyone, but for me, it's helped. So I'm learning things you're definitely a positive influence in my mind on some of the things that you've said today. But in general, when we work out together, you're very uplifting. So I want to say thank you. Oh, thank you. And I'm just glad that you were on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Sorry, yes. I had barking dogs. That's all right. No worries. I think they got quieter when she moved them in with you. They take turns coming over to me and checking on me. I have codependent dogs. No worries. <laughs> well, thanks, son. I appreciate all your time today. This episode really got me thinking about the words I say to myself. It made me more aware to love and accept any flaws and to reinforce the positive so I can remember to have a healthy dialogue with myself. I wanna thank Shoshana for being so vulnerable and sharing her story and creating a space for each of us to stop and give ourselves some grace. Her reframing conversation was candidly something I hadn't really thought about and it's really so simple to practice. If you know someone that is struggling with an eating disorder, please gently encourage them to reach out to a therapist that can help. There is a 24-hour national hotline that you can call or text. The number is 800-931-2237. Much gratitude for listening to this episode. And as always, please share, rate, and review all of the episodes within Light from the Rabbit Hole but especially this one. It's an important message for each of us and it's an important message for our children. Until next time.